You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. To our announcements, Steve, this starts my time, okay? Ron's not here. He kind of said, hey, man, I, I won't be able to make it in. I'm going to take care of my daughter and be around and be available to the family. Uh, sorry I won't be there. And so whenever Ron says that to me, it, I feel like he's saying, go for an hour. Preach for 50 minutes, 90 minutes. That's what I feel like uh, when, it, when he's not sitting right there giving me the eye. But we are in, um, in for a treat this morning, church. We have just come out of our our Luke series, the first two chapters of Luke, Pastor Ron led us through this series uh, entitled Preparing the Way, and, and it's in the first, and it's in the gospel of Luke, and now we're going to make this transition in chapter three of the gospel according to Luke, and we're going to uh, begin to look at a title and a theme that runs through the pulse of the, cha- of, of the gospel, and it's entitled Jesus for Everyone. We've titled the, our, our Luke series, Jesus for Everyone. And, and the, the theme that runs through this is Jesus is going to the, the least, the last, and the lost. And we'll come back to that theme in just a few minutes. But that is the undertone of the gospel according to Luke, or the good news according to Luke. And I, yeah, I am convinced, for, for me, my personal favorite gospel is the gospel of Luke. So I couldn't be more thrilled about getting the opportunity to teach this book for, um, for specifically the next couple of weeks. But we'll be in this, um, in this gospel for uh, a couple months uh, we could be in here for a couple years. It's so rich, and I think you will be... Um, inspired that you hopefully the point of all this is that when we walk away we love Jesus more that when we we see Jesus when we see those people involved in the stories ordinary men and women that just love Jesus and followed him that we walk away inspired in awe that we work walk away in in worship to Jesus that's what this is all about this is why we come together this is why we worship Jesus through the word week in and week out that we would worship more amen church we are in this in the series Jesus for everyone and and i have the interesting task of uh, coming in at Luke chapter 3, and this, is, and this is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is just, he's an odd cat. He's, a, he's an odd duck. A kind of guy that I would want to hang out with, but sort of suspicious by. Um, but, and and, and Luke, Luke is going to tell the story of John the Baptist, and he's going to draw it out, and he's going to elaborate on, on, Luke, on, on John the Baptist and his ministry. And John the Baptist is an interesting character for us at this place in the story because John the Baptist, he, he is the one that will prepare the way. He is the one that is calling out from the, coming out from the wilderness, calling out from the, the wilderness. It's a reference back to Isaiah. He is the one that prepares the way for Jesus Christ, and yet his message is Jesus for everyone. Yet, his message will be baptism and to repent. And all are called to repent. 
This will be the storyline in the message of John the Baptist. So we are right at this crux of this turning point of of two series that we've done here at this church, and it, it is just great. And when I think about John the Baptist, and I and coming right behind just a couple days ago, having Christmas. How many of you enjoy the Christmas season of, you know, maybe it's vain, but if you're like me, you love gifts. You love giving gifts. Is there anybody else out there that loves the gift aspect of Christmas? Right. I love it. I, 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 my love language is gifts. You know, the five love languages, if any of you have read the book of, of quality time and blah, blah, blah. Gifts. Gifts are, <laughs> gifts are my number one. And that, might, and that might have to do with the fact that I'm an only child. Uh, and, and it has hurt over the years growing up as an only child. My parents uh, always got me a, you know, a good amount of gifts. And as I've had uh, kids, I've seen that just go down and down and down um, by each kid that I have. And I am bitter about it <laughs> because I do think that I would rather have those gifts than my children getting them. But this year in particular... Uh, you, we, you know, we've all gone through quite a year, and, uh, you know, my mom, she is a cancer survivor, and she's gone through some, some stuff in the last couple years, and we didn't know if we were, how long that she would be around, and she has survived cancer, and uh, we're a year and a half out from that, and so we are just, we're sitting there just blessed this year just to see my mom, and my mom, she comes, and, and, and she is a gift giver. And, and this year in particular was special with everything that's gone on this year and just my mom and, and seeing her get gifts for my kids. Seeing her buy gifts that I will never buy for my children because they're too expensive. And even if I had the money, I wouldn't spend it on them. But, but my mom, her heart and, and her preparation and thinking through each gift and, and knowing what gift will just bring my kids alive and seeing their faces this year and watching it on my mom's face. That, that it, it made me think of Luke chapter 3. That it's not just about the gift, but it's also the preparation, right? It's the presentation, how many of us, we, when we see that perfect gift for our spouse, our loved ones, or our kids, we go, we know that they would love it. We know that this would be perfect for them. When we think about making something for somebody, for sure they're going to love this. And, and you have, you've prepped it in your mind. Or one of my favorite um, preparation stories is in, in Luke 7, where the woman, she comes and she brings this alabaster jar of expensive perfume and she comes to Jesus. And, and the beauty of that isn't the fact that she didn't, she didn't just see Jesus walk by and go, oh, I should, I should go grab my perfume really quick. She heard about him. She knew about him. She knew that he was coming to her town. She knew exactly who he was, and, he, and she believed it. And she, she prepared. It was premeditated. She got it ready. She goes, what is, what is the best thing that I have? Because the Messiah is coming. What is the greatest thing that I could give him? The, the only material possession. And there was a preparation. And when I think about John the Baptist, he is that preparation. John the Baptist, he, um, 
like our slide up here. He is a, he's, uh, and I've entitled uh, today's message through Luke chapter 3, and I'll be here for the next two weeks, so uh, we'll sit back and see how far we get. I don't know if I'll even get to Luke chapter 3, but I'm trying. It's entitled, The Man, uh, The Man, The Mission, and The Message. We're going to look at John the Baptist, and I, and I did lowercase man on purpose, and because he's not the man, like the Jesus man, but lowercase man, but the man, the mission, and the message. What was, who was John? What was his mission? And what was his message? And it is quite simple, and, and it is such a profound, simple message that it was told 2,000 years ago in all four Gospels that it was told in all four Gospels, and it still has weight in our lives today, that we still ought to tune our ears to listen to this message today. In uh, John the Baptist, he is a man. Uh, we know him as the guy that has weird food. He eats honey and locusts. This is, this is really in connection uh, symbolically, as John is, is a prophet, he, he, wears cam- he has camel hair, uh, camel hair burlap sack, and probably, I picture him with a lot of chest hair, uh, a leather belt, just manly, a real manly man. And, and, and he comes and he eats honey and he eats locusts. And these are symbols that, that locusts was always a sign of judgment. The locust in the Old Testament that we see, and in Revelation, is a sign of judgment. That locusts would be sent on crops to devour crops, and it was God's sign of judgment. And honey was blessing. We know that God's people were sent to the land of milk and honey. And so John is this, it's another imagery back to the Old Testament where prophets of the Old Testament, and John specifically, remember who John's parents are. Remember Zechariah? Remember Elizabeth? Remember last week, Ron said, hey, don't, don't call the, the ladies too old for pregnancy. Remember that sermon? Elizabeth was that woman who was too old. She was past her, her uh, years to bear a child. And she, uh, she, had, she birthed John the Baptist. And he would be the one that would go before Jesus. And, and Zechariah was a priest. And John, or John the Baptist, he's called out of the priesthood. Now, the priesthood, that was, that was your family business. That was a line of a, a lineage that was passed down. And, and it was a great honor to be of the priesthood. It was a great honor to be in the priestly line. And it was shameful to step away from that and to become a prophet. We see that with guys like Ezekiel. We see that with Jeremiah, Zechariah. That it wasn't, oh, you're, God called you to be a prophet. But interestingly, priests, you were just born into the line of priests. But prophets, God called you. And God, I, I love this because God colors all outside of the lines. God called God called. Um, uh, anybody he wanted. He could call a free man. He could call a slave. He could call a woman. He could call a man. He could call a um, Gentile. He could call a Jew. He could call a priest. He could call a non-priest. And God would come in and he would raise up prophets and he would go, you go on behalf of me. God would raise up these prophets. And it wasn't, it wa- it wasn't like we look at oh, Isaiah and oh, all these beautiful prophecies out of Isaiah, it was a hard calling. You might lay on your side like Isaiah, 
day in, day out, week in, week out, naked in the middle of the city as an enacted symbol. You might be called to fast for years uh, like Daniel. You, you might have uh, Hosea. God called Hosea and said, look, as a symbol, as an enacted symbol of my ongoing love to my people, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And then I want you to have children with her, and she will continue to be unfaithful to you. And that was what, the, what Hosea was called to. He was called, and it was going to be a symbol to God's people on their unfaithfulness to him. And, and we can look at these stories and just go, oh, man, what a crazy story. That's wild. These were real people that God was calling to do real things. And John the Baptist is called to do real things and, and be that voice for who God has called him to be. John the, John the Baptist is, is unlike any other person in the, in the New Testament. Jesus himself Jesus himself later will say that there, John was greater than any prophet and he was the greatest human being. We can think of John the Baptist as kind of the first New Testament prophet, but actually in, in Luke 16, 16, it says that John is the last of the Old Testament, the last of the law of the prophets, that what, what the people of God have been waiting for for 400 years, John the Baptist comes in as a voice from Isaiah and says, he's here. That John the Baptist comes as a voice crying out from the wilderness and says, the one you've been waiting for is here. And this is the role of John the Baptist. And, and, I, and I, this, this is the man. And just for a moment, I want you, I know we're in Luke chapter 3, and we're not moving fast, but just flip over back to Luke chapter 1 with me. And, and look, read in your Bibles here, Luke chapter 1, verses 15. This really is the mission of Luke. This is his, or the mission of John the Baptist. For he, will be, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. Uh, this is in connection to most likely a Nazarite vow that John the Baptist, he, was, he didn't drink alcohol. He probably was not a landowner. He was a nomad. Uh, this is just a part of um, what was custom to a Nazarite vow here. Uh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many hearts many hearts of the children of Israel to the to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared there's a couple things we look at in this particular verse that there's a repeated word in these couple verses, and, and it's highlighted here, to turn. That John's ministry is going to be a baptism of repentance to turn the hearts to God. That he will, there will be this, and to turn is to repent. To repent is to be going in a direction, and I repent. The, the word for repentance is to turn away from. And, to, and, and the word for belief is to turn towards something. 
that the act of repentance is that we were going our way, that we were living our life, that we were doing our, our life our way. We were God. We were king of our life. And God says, turn and repent. And we turn away from the way that we were living life, and we turn towards a belief in God. We're turning away from our way of living, and we turn towards God's way of living. And that is the message that John the Baptist is doing. That's, that's it. That's simple. That's what his, the, the Lord had put on his heart. Go before the people and, and call them, proclaim to them to turn towards God. Furthermore, uh, he's going to go on and he redefines who the people of God are. My wife right now, she is probably telling, yelling from the internet, Mark, don't get off track. Mark, don't get off track. Don't get off track. I love the book of Luke and Acts. As this, this book makes up a quarter of our New Testament. And Luke, the author, Luke, is writing to a man named Theophilus, most likely. He is, uh, Theophilus is of high status in the Roman Empire, most likely. In, in Luke chapter 1, he opens up, uh, Luke is, refers to him as most excellent Theophilus. This is a title probably talking about his prestigious uh, placement in the Roman government. In the volume 2, in Acts, in volume 2, he drops that title. And there's some great mystery to this, and, and, and many scholars, and myself uh, as well, not lumping me into scholars, but I tend to believe that Theophilus is unsaved in the Gospel of Luke. That Theophilus has commissioned Luke to write, tell me why this little baby in Bethlehem is turning the world upside down. Why do I hear about him here in Rome? Why has this gospel of this little baby spread to the entire world, to the entire known world of the time? What is happening? He's commissioned to write this. In Acts, he drops the title, Most Excellent, and he just refers to him as Theophilus, referring to him as a brother. That this this gospel was probably convincing. And then he commissions him to write volume two, the book of Acts. And it shows the history, the historical narrative, the spread of the gospel. This is a fascinating piece. And, and in, in, in the, the, the priority of Luke and what Luke is going to do, he is going to redefine who the people of God are. And he's going to redefine that by addressing three major groups. The least, the last, and the lost. The least, the last, and the lost. The least, those who are marginalized by society. Widows, orphans. When you think about orphans, it's easy to think of, you know, call 1-800 to support an orphan and a cute little kid. And he's in, a, he's in an orphanage in a third world country. These are not that. These are street kids. These are kids that live amongst the people. These, um, in, in certain countries, they live in graveyards. These kids live under bridges. These kids are rascals. And I remember going to Cambodia being bent on, I'm going to love the orphan and the widow. And then I met these orphans and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, they were hard to love kids. But these are, will be the kids. These will be the people 
that Jesus is going after, what society considers the least. What society considered the least at this time? Women. And Jesus will turn the world upside down by his teachings on women. It's easy to look at the Bible and go, oh man, that's such an old book and it's archaic and some of the, the things that it says about women and it just, it's, it's not progressive as our time says. This was incredibly progressive for the time. And, and, and the way that we view women and the way that women are uh, powerful and equal in our society today is, is driven by books like the Gospel of Luke. Women, women were no longer, uh, they were no longer just to have worth and value if they were married. No longer to have worth and value if only they could have kids. That they weren't just this second class citizen in Jesus' eyes, but they were, they, were, they were amongst him. They came to be his disciples. That they were on the front lines of ministry. That, that the gospel of Luke totally redefines the least of these. And, and we'll put a spin on it, uh, I think, that will be even mind-blowing by today's standard. The last. He re- redefines who the last are. And, and Jesus himself will go on to say, those who think that they're first, those ones will actually be last in the eternal kingdom. And the last here, they, they will be first. The lost. This is one of my favorite ones. Because the redefinition of the lost in the gospel of Luke, it, it isn't, Jesus turns this and doesn't make it us against them, but it's usually the religious self-righteous. That the lost man is usually uh, the one who thinks he's right with God. The lost is the one who who stands up and, and prays aloud on street corners and makes sure everybody knows that he's a, he's a religious man and prayer and fasting. And, and Jesus will say, those, those are the ones that need me the most, the ones that think that they don't. Luke is, is a fascinating book that will, will even wake up our our love for God, it'll, it'll push us. It'll push us to go, who do we see that is marginalized? Who do we see as lost? And, and who do we think we are? This is John the Baptist. This is his mission. And now as we go into Luke chapter 3, finally, uh, we will look at the message of Luke. Now, uh, I didn't throw a slide up here for uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, uh, because it's a list of names, and it is uh, a piece of history. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip the Tetrarch, and so on and so forth. These few verses... Uh, yeah, again, I could get lost here. These few verses, they're, think of them more as a point of reference of historical history. And remember what Luke sets out to do in Luke chapter 1. He is going to deliver an orderly account. 
He is going to give an orderly account of history and geography. He's going to go through and he's going to line up uh, who was actually governors during this time. Who, that would be modern day. In, in 2020, you would maybe come out and say, Donald Trump was president. Uh, he, uh, Kate Brown, governor, uh, so on and so forth, in the year of COVID-19. And, and that would trigger, everybody would know where they were during that year. They would know a placement time. And you know, fascinating. Keep going, Mark. Keep going. Stay away from off track here. Fascinating bits. For years and years, there were people and places in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, that scholars scoffed at because they said none of those names, none of those places exist. And in recent decades, with archaeology, wouldn't you guess, they have found inscriptions with during this time with these people in these places. And we do not rest our faith on archaeology, but it has been a fascinating look that many digs have pointed to this time in placement of history and people that we didn't even know were governors and mayors of cities are found right here in Luke chapter 3. But the history is really important, friends, because the history, the context is the text. When we think, we can think about the text as just being the, the, the black and the white, but the context that surrounds it is also vitally important to our understanding. And knowing that Jesus, that the, this new light that's dawned, pierces, it comes into our history. It comes into our place in our time. Um, in verse 3, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, this is John the Baptist, proclaiming baptism of repentance and forgiveness for sin, as it is written in the book of Isaiah. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This, this tidbit here about um, John the Baptist. It is only Luke that extends verses 5 and 6 from, the, from Isaiah chapter 40. And, and Luke is going to go above and beyond to say every, every mountain made low, every hill made flat, all flesh would know salvation. And, and he's going to say this because he's going to say every and all. He will continue to redefine Jesus is for everyone. There is no one off limits. If you are a Jew, that doesn't automatically make you uh, to have salvation. If you're a Gentile, that doesn't automatically condone you from salvation. That the, the playing field is level at the foot of the cross. The, plane, the, 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 the foot of the cross is level. And John, this is going to be his proclamation. And let, let's look at this little bit here in John, in, in verse 7. This is John, and he jumps in and he gives his first words. So up until this, this has just been Luke. Here's John's message. And he said, therefore, to the crowds, come out and be baptized by him. John, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in 
in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, (laughs) for I tell you, God is able from these stones, from these stones, to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, does not bear fruit. It is cut down and thrown into fire. What does all this mean? Bible, biblical preaching and teaching is really, I don't know, um, I, I think of it as an art docent. Have you, you guys, any, any people fans of art in here? I know Steve and Lois are fans of art, and Renee. Uh, and if you've ever been to an art gallery, you get this little person that will travel around with you called a docent. And what they are, I, I, am I correct, pronouncing that correctly, Renee? Okay. Um, and, these, and a docent is somebody that will go with you, and they'll go up to a piece of art, and they take somebody like me, and they'll look at it, and you'll see this canvas, and they'll go, you know, what does it look like to you? Like a three-year-old painted it? Like my seven-year-old could have done that easily? And then they'll, a, a docent will come in and kind of give you the context. They'll tell you what's happening. They'll tell you about the artist. They'll tell you what the artist was thinking. They'll tell you what the artist's intent was. And then you kind of look back and go, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess that is a, a house with a tree. Okay, and then you walk away. And, and the same is true, I think, about pastors. I think about uh, Bible teachers is that we just kind of come along and go, why is this cool? Why, does this, why is this interesting? And, and in here, this is a, going to be an, an, another redefinition of who God's people are. John tells the crowd. He has a crowd of disciples. John has created quite the following. He himself has disciples. John himself is, people are saying, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? He has a massive group of disciples. And John is taking this to point to someone else. And John is saying, I come to baptize you with repentance. And look who he's pointing at. Jewish people. The Jews, the self-righteous, those who believe that they will see the Messiah. And why is this interesting? Because this time, Jewish people did not get baptized. It was for outsiders. It was for proselytes, those who were Gentile and wanted to be religiously Jewish. Those who wanted to follow Yahweh but weren't ethnically Jewish. Jewish. And what what John does here, John comes in and he says, everyone needs to repent independently of their sin. Everyone needs to independently turn towards God. If you think you have it together, you don't. You think that you're sons of Abraham. Abraham, if we go all the way back to Genesis and we remember way back to Genesis chapter 12 where God comes in and makes a covenant, And he says, Abraham, I will use this people, I will use your people, your sons and your daughters, to bless the world. Those who bless you, I will bless them. Those who curse you, I will curse them. And God, the whole Old Testament, from the the very first book of Genesis, begins to point to Jesus. 
From Genesis chapter 3, from where God comes out and he crushes the head of the snake, it begins to look to Jesus. And what's happening here, friends, is John the Baptist comes on the scene and says, everything that the first half of this book's been talking about is happening. And he comes and he says, and if you think that you're safe because you're Jewish, you're not. And if you think that you're excluded because you're a Gentile, you're not. That there's personal repentance for everyone. That everyone comes to the pool of baptism. Everyone is cleansed by the Lord for their sins. Everyone has to turn from something and turn towards faith in God. That is, that is what's happening here. And, and what John is going to do is he's going to make it clear that everyone needs to be in this pool. No one stands righteous away from God unless they have come and turned towards him. What I, I think for us, we can think about this today, is that many of us you know, grew up in a, a Christian home, or we grew up in a family that's, um, that we were born into, and we can feel like, oh, my mom's a good, faithful Christian, or my dad was a deacon or an elder, or so on and so forth. This really puts in our, in our face Have we repented? Do we continue to be in that place of repentance? I see some young faces over here, and and I see some young people with parents, and and I know the youth, and and I I think that it can be easy to go, yeah, I go to church, and um, yeah, my parents have been going to Canby Foursquare for 300 years, however long it's been here, Um, and, and never really make it our own. And what John the Baptist is doing is he's saying, come and make this your own. This is an invitation. Jesus himself, sinless son of God, will get baptized in just a few short verses. He will come as a symbol. He will come and he will symbolize what those that are outside of God are to come to do. The good news of the gospel, what John is saying, is that you need to repent. That we all need to repent. I was recently, a number of years ago recently, uh, walking through something with, uh, with um, a young man that was going through life. And he was just going through a hardship. And uh, there was some real stuff going on in marriage. And it was, we were processing this over the course of a number of weeks, what was going on. And, and I was hearing, uh, you know, I just need to get back to where I was, and I need, to, uh, I need restoration. And it, it made me think. And I asked him, I said, and are, you, are you even saved? Well, yeah, of course I'm saved. I grew up in the church, and I went to youth camps, and I went, you know, my parents have been a part of the church. And as it unfolded more, it came, it came to me, I don't know that this person had ever had a repentance experience where they said, God, I want this to be mine. I want this to not be just my family that I was born into. I need to turn towards you. A gift that I keep getting every year. I think my in-laws have bought it for me for a decade is a AAA membership. Have I used it? No, not really. But the beauty of the AAA membership is that even if you're in the car with somebody and their car breaks down, you can use it for them. And I thought about that. Our salvation isn't like that. You know, if you're in the car with somebody that's saved, that doesn't make you saved. 
It's not just a, a, a buy one, everyone's in free. And what John does here to the people is he says, no one is, is too high for repentance. No one can go without turning towards God. The message for us today, church, is, is this still alive in our hearts? When was the last time that we repented? Is repentance something that we did once and now we get out of hell free card? Or is repentance continuing? It may be for you it's in two places. We'll look at two stages. One, maybe you've never repented. Maybe you've never turned your heart towards the Lord. Maybe you've never come and said, God, I am a sinner that is far away from you, and your wrath is against me, and I turn towards you, and I believe that your son died for my sins, that your son took on my, and and gave me his righteousness. And I believe that, God, and I repent. And then the other practice is, maybe repenting is just something we used to do. Not, Not saying sorry, but actually repenting, saying to my wife, like, I disrespected you. I, I, I repent for the way I treated you. I'm going to turn away from treating you that way. For my kids, I do a lot of repentance to my kids. My kids, oh God, pray for them. Just pray for them. Um, as I'm trying to figure it out, I constantly am telling my son, my oldest, he's 12. I'm like, I've never been a dad of a 12-year-old. I'm figuring this out for the first time, and I'm sorry that you get the brunt end of that. And I'm trying to repent and actually turn from acting this way and turning towards the way that God would treat you. I would ask us today, church, is this something that's weighty in our lives? And if it isn't, we should ask God to make this weighty in our lives. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus is for everyone. There is no one too far gone. There is no least. There is no last. There is no lost. In God's kingdom. This is the message of Luke. And this is the message that John the Baptist is preaching in Luke chapter 3. Let us pray. Jesus, we come before you humbled by Luke chapter 3. What a text. And God, I would just come before us right now for those in this room, those in the patio, those online. God, if we've never repented, if we've never come before a holy God and looked into the face of God and said, God, I am not holy, and you are, and you have made a way for me to be with you forever. God, if we have not repented for the sin in our own lives, Lord, if we've not repented for the sin that we have done to others, God, would that be a practice that we do right now? God, if we, uh, would you convict us of areas of our life in which we, we, we're not repentant? Do we have trouble with somebody right now? Is there somebody that we think's too far gone? Is there somebody that we are too proud to repent to? God, is there somebody that needs to repent that's, that's harmed us? Lord, would you convict them? But God, would you make us to be the people that take the first step? God, would the message of John the Baptist, the gospel for everyone, 
and repentance resound in our hearts today. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.